Good morning. Uh, I'm going to start by reading the scripture this morning. Um, I will be honest, I am very nervous this morning, um, and Ella just whispered to me, Mom, you look nervous. I said, because I am. And she said, but you get up there and like sing all the time. But this is different. She's like, yeah, this is easier. So, <laughs> so, so here we go, right? Lord, Lord be with me today. Um, I would like to read the passage. If you would like to open up your Bibles, I am actually using a friend's Bible today um, for a reason that I actually didn't even realize until he handed it to me this morning to use, um, and I'll go into that a little bit later. But I'm, um, so I don't know what page it's on. Does anyone? It's on 978 for those of you that can read the slide. Um, and I would just like to encourage you or remind you of something that Ben's talked about before. These headers and page numbers and verse numbers and chapter numbers, those were all put in much, much later. So if it's possible, if you could pretend like the header wives and husbands is not in your Bible as we read through this and just listen to the flow of one paragraph into the other, I'd really appreciate that. So today I'm going to be reading Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord." For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Did I go too far? Oh, I got to keep going. I I only went to there in my practice. In the same way, the husband should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. That's as far as I'm going. Thank you. As we've been discussing on this for a number of weeks now, and even this week, trying to figure out where to, where to go today, and, and beginning a conversation on marriage is extreme, right? So we think at least this morning to take a part of it and begin in the foundation of marriage and what God's Word says about it as we start to look at this passage and wade into it. And then next week, uh, we'll do a little bit more. I'll explain that a little f- more f- fully further. Paul says in marriage at the end of this passage, that's why I was wondering if you were going to go to the end because I'm beginning with verse 32. He says, this mystery is profound. You know what the word profound is in the Greek? If you read my title, you probably guess at it. It's mega. It's mega. This mystery is mega. So literally, mega mysterion. It's a mega mystery. Marriage is a mega mystery. So I'm just going to pray and let's close. (laughs) And let's sing and clap. Uh, That would be ridiculous. We don't clap. (laughs) I said said to Catherine, I, I think I would rather preach on circumcision. It's not nearly as uncomfortable as addressing submission and authority, headship and gender roles. Thanks, Paul. So it's passages like these that I am comforted by the Apostle Peter's words. Peter was a friend of Paul. They had their own conflict but came to be restored and 
and did quite a bit of ministry together, certainly prayed for one another. Uh, Peter said in his letter, his second letter, 2 Peter 3, 15, speaking of Paul, he said, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters. And there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So, thank you, Peter. We have encouragement when we read words from Paul that are hard to understand. Lord, may we not be ignorant and unstable. May we not twist God's word to our own destruction. We come with this posture of humility to receive it. Many have twisted God's word. Many have twisted even this very passage and have brought abuse through it. The Bible begins with a marriage and ends with one. Do you know that? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there's a marriage. In Revelation 19, there's the future telling of the marriage banquet of the Lamb. So marriage is God's idea, and it's kind of important. We can't just skip over it. And I'm also quite sure on a practical level that many of you in here who are married would love to see your marriages grow, strengthen, thrive, whether you've been married for a year or 42. Shout out to the Englands who celebrated 42 years this week. And some of you are beyond that or made it further until a spouse passed, some even recently. So wherever we are at the, in the storyline of, of marriage, and if you are not yet married or maybe won't be, God is preparing you with the same foundation that we'll see in this passage of mutual love and submission one to another. That's all of our relationships. God is either preparing you for marriage, for your marriage to grow, or for a ministry to flourish, or all of the above. I'm, you know, if, this is, if that's not true, if I'm mistaken, if your marriage is never tense or full of conflict, if there's no selfishness, but only selfless service, if there's no fighting, but only laughter, if there's no brooding, but only immediate confession and forgiveness and grace, the full picture of the unity of Christ. And I suppose you can get on to your phone and check the football scores and tune out. Or you can stay tuned in and think about all of those others who are married that you know who really need to hear this message. And for next week, as we wade maybe into a little bit of gender roles or what Scripture speaks of them or what it does not speak of them, uh, then certainly don't come next week and go to brunch, celebrate the wonderful idolatry of our culture, of the brunch culture. Oh wait, no, I can't say that. I've already offended. But if the opposite is somewhat true and your marriage is filled with tension or conflict or fighting or bickering, distance, coldness, brooding, selfishness, and the rest, that's normal, so be encouraged. But if worse, your marriage feels like it's already become anything but a marriage, if it's falling apart at the seams, if it's broken, if there is oppression or abuse, then I, I, I pray that these words are hope-filled as, they are, as we are attempting to point all of us to Jesus, to who He is and to what He's done and to ultimately God's promises and plans for us. So just this morning to kind of begin at the beginning, the foundation, and then next week we pray, Lord willing, to wade a little bit more deeply into the wives submit to your husbands. Yikes. Husbands love your wives to the point of death. Yikes. And Catherine and I will determine kind of which, how to share in that ministry. Catherine gets the last word today. By the way, I, I invited her to be a part of this, uh, but that's not, that's not enough just to say, you can come up and grab this mic here and join me or correct at any point that you feel led to do that. But I say, more than the invitation is that I think her voice is needed in this conversation. So uh, it's, yes, she could have said no uh, to, to that, but she has said yes, and she's wrestling with uh, which part of her voice should be heard in this. So pray uh, for her, with her, and with me too as we uh, walk this out. I think in 10 years, this will be the first time uh, that we have shared in the teaching, uh, preaching ministry here at, at Union Hill. So looking forward to that and also trying to walk into that faithfully and humbly.
on one of our calls, part of our call, maybe a threefold call, I've shared that in many circles, is to see family restored. Uh, the, the sense of family in our culture, and maybe even our world, but certainly the culture that we live in, is under attack. It's often broken. It's hurting. And we just have a real heart for that. And obviously, at the center of that then is marriage, seeing marriages restored that they could thrive, be healed, and uh, walk in grace and the mercy of Jesus, where he is leading that to happen. Let's begin at the beginning. A little bit of an intro there. It's not hard to jump to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the very beginning of the story, because Paul does. He quotes in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's quoting from Genesis 2.24. And remember, Paul's primary purpose in this whole letter is to remind the Ephesians who they are because of who God is and what he has done, what he has promised. Therefore, here's your identity, and here is then how you live. And in this back half of Ephesians, he's giving exhortations to the church, believing that they have heard and received that instruction of, this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is who you are, it's what God has done. Now, therefore, here's a way to live that out. If we just take out of context, how many times have I said this already in this long months, months after month journey through Ephesians? If we just take out of context and we forget that first part, then we uh, can just lead right into legalism or any other form of twisting of the Scripture. So very important as we wade into this, even as Catherine teed that up, this is a flow. This is a flow from the previous passage of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's also the flow of love the love of God and the love of who we are and the love one to another. And we'll see that. I think Catherine will end on that as we approach this. Uh, very, very vital that we remember that. So here's who God is and what he's done. We go back to the beginning of the story, what his original creation was, what his design, what his purpose when it comes to men and women and therefore marriage. God creates all things good, right? Again and again, day after day, he saw what he made and he said, it is good. He makes that declaration. And yet, Even before sin enters the world, before Satan comes and tempts and leads astray Adam and Eve, God said there's one thing that was not good. If God created all that was good, how is there one thing that was not good? It was incomplete. It was was not fulfilled. He said, this is Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man would be alone, so I will make a a helper fit for him. Now, we know that that helper fit for him is Eve. Eve is the ultimate pinnacle of God's creation. We also need to understand the word helper. I hope you do. We see that first, actually, we see that Eve is made from a rib of Adam because woman needs man just as man needs woman. They are completing one another. They are complementary. That word word helper is easer in the Hebrew. Most often in the Bible, it's used for God himself. God comes as a helper to his people. When Jesus later, would be in the Greek, he would say, I I will send you another helper, another counselor. The word is paraclete, so it's a different word. But he's saying, I'm sending another of the same kind, alos, like me. So Jesus is basically saying, I am your helper, and I'm sending another one, the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, we see that this is the word chosen for Eve, for woman, not at all a, a lesser or an inferior helper. Is, hey, the man's got it, but you could come along and help him in his way. Make it easier for him to do his job. That is not at all this word. The other way that this word easer is used in the Scriptures is for military force. Just when a, when a battle could not be won or when they were losing, Help came, easer came in the form of troops. So with force and power, a battle that would have been lost was won. And this is the word that God uses to, chooses to describe woman as he's creating woman. It's pretty powerful. We also, I, this word fit, I, I think, is, is a better term than some translations that would say suitable, a helper suitable. I feel like that's too, too shallow for this intention, fit. Um, The picture would be like a puzzle, two puzzle pieces coming together. 
One piece is not greater than the other. They, they, they fit together to reveal something greater. Different, same but different. That's the idea of this fit. They fit together and therefore the, that rib picture And often when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, I'll bring us back to that story of God's creation. Notice the rib, the side. Woman is side by side, not in front, not behind. That's how men and women are called to journey through life together in marriage, to become one, to become one flesh. Now for you that are more inclined to the sciences than the arts, consider even the the, um, atomic level, the very base of all things physically revealed, we have two forces that are drawn together and hold together. Literally, I've heard it said, it's what makes the world spin. Opposite forces bound together. Any image we strive at will fall short. Even Paul, as he reaches to this image of Christ and the church with hope to help, could fall short of ultimately what God is meaning to do as men and women come together. And what we need to see is how God originally created. Very clearly in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make men and women in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created men and women in his own image. This is where we get the phrase imago Dei. That's in the Latin, but the image of God. We are created in his image. God created them male and female. He created them. It's the only time in all of Genesis that God speaks of himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image. We see, we see this first picture of God being One, but more than one. It's the idea of the Trinity that later gets fleshed out in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And it makes sense that if God is is triune like that, is one and yet has multiple persons, to use a theological phrase because our brains fall short of trying to understand it and grasp it, then it makes sense that he would create create a reflection of him in essence the same, but reflection in reflecting differently. That's community. That's who he is. And so he creates male and female to begin to reveal himself more fully. And we were even praying on that this morning. Being created in the image of God just stretches our capacity even to understand. How can we possibly reflect an eternal God, a God who is spirit, is not flesh? And yet it's what God declares and then reveals. Notice here that he gives both men and women purpose dominion and blessing together. There's no distinction. It's given to them both. God says, verses, verse 28, continuing that passage of Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all things. Behold, I have given you, plural, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and you shall have them for food. All things are given under their authority under Adam and Eve together, collectively, to have purpose and dominion, to be fruitful and to multiply. And God saw what he had done, what he had made, what he had completed, and said it is very good. It was good, 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 all the way to that point. Now it is very good. Now it is complete. And so as we approach these words in Ephesians 5, we must keep God's original design and creation in mind Before sin ever entered the world, this is how it was. It was God's picture of very good. Man and woman together in full unity, with full purpose, with full dominion, with full calling, with full presence. And we must hold that very clearly. Notice too that before even the first children came into the picture, God says a man will leave his father and mother There wasn't even a father and mother yet, and God declares this is the way it will be. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife in one flesh. The two will become one. Notice even in that language, you know know I'm hinting at where we're going in Ephesians 5 because the first call is wives submit to your husbands, submit to them in everything. 
And if that's all we take out, we're, we're losing the full story here. But notice even the very language from the, the, from the beginning is, is not, and the wife will leave the family and come and be joined to the husband to complete him. It's the other way around. The husband will leave and actually join to his wife to become one flesh. So even the language chosen there shows a service role, a submission role from the husband coming to the wife. It is mutual, and we will see the mutual submission coming together. It's not certainly not one lesser joining the other into his purpose or his calling. We have equal calling, purpose, authority, and dominion, blessing, and presence. So the Imago Dei complements one another. Each reflect God uniquely, but together more fully. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, and I would, I would recommend that book. He and Kathy wrote that together, and they have an ongoing ministry uh, for, for families, for marriages, and uh, I, I really appreciate their ministry together, how they've wrestled through so much, uh, especially with uh, Kathy being a strong, independent woman is how she w- was raised and how she continues to lead in ministry. And so seeing their, the way that they minister together is encouraging to, to Catherine and I. So Tim writes this in uh, one of the chapters, I think early on maybe, he says, everything in the creation account proclaims that marriage next to our relationship to God is the most profound relationship that there is. And that is why, like knowing God himself, coming to know and love your spouse is difficult and painful yet rewarding and wondrous. That's kind of how they shape their whole exploration of this passage too. They take a pretty deep dive into Ephesians chapter 5. So if you want more, they would be a resource to get more. We know everything changed when sin entered the world. Everything did. Everything becomes under a curse, becomes broken, becomes marred, skewed. God said this would be so. One day it would be restored, but he said, here's the curse. This is Genesis 3.16, to the woman, and he speaks to the woman, then he speaks to Adam, he, oh, he speaks to the serpent, and he, he, he condemns the, this evil that happens. But to, to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, it's the part of the curse. In pain you shall bring, bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is not God's will. This is a declaration of the curse of what has now been broken. This is what's going to happen. Look at, that, look at that line. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. So anyone that's married for any length of time understands that. Our desires are, contradict one another. How do we come together as one? We've got to fight for that with Jesus at the center, working for healing and redemption and hope. Stepping back to see the full picture. Looking inward to see within us what is also broken. And husbands, you will dominate. You will rule. You don't even really have to try to do it. You will oppress. You will hurt. That's the default. We've got to grow to be like Jesus and do the very opposite in our calling into marriage. Enmity between the men and, men and women in general, husband and wife in spe- specific, has certainly persisted ever since. Let me say this and read my notes. The abuses against women perpetrated by men, even husbands against wives, are tragic, sinful, evil, inexcusable, and undeniable. Even in the name of godliness, even using texts like this one in Ephesians 5 as a sword that cuts or shackles that bind and suppress Any person who takes a passage of Scripture and twists it to make women feel inferior or to make men look superior should be rebuked and their sin abhorred. This is not God's will and His way. Abuses done in the name of biblical authority are inexcusable. They make it difficult for some to even consider Paul's words here. If they strike something deep within you, that makes you want to respond in anger or frustration. Know, know that that's from the abuses done. That's not first from God's word. But I also wouldn't want you to dismiss and ignore and get to a place of apathy. That's probably the worst place we could be coming before God is through the lens of culture and abuse done in the name of God. We then just withdraw from it in heart. I hope we will engage God's word, wrestle with it in hopes of knowing him more deeply. May we not continue to give 
power to those who have abused God's word by responding to it in a way that is not intended and that does not bring God glory. That continues to give the power to those who have abused and it must be broken. Ultimately, it must be forgiven. And the only way that could be done is because of Christ's forgiveness for us and in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is hope. Now, becoming apathetic to God's word could happen at any level. It doesn't just have to happen in a place that is uh, full of tension or has been used in abuse. It could simply be, well, it's a mystery. God's a mystery, and I, I, I trust him, but I don't need to really spend too much energy looking into these things. We don't want to be in that posture either. That's too low of a road to take to knowing God. We could also take the low road of, well, you know, until Jesus comes back, this is how it is. The world is broken and fallen. We can just try to manage and get along. One day he'll restore all things. He'll make all things new. He'll bring it back. But that's too low of a road. That's not the road we're called to. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May it be now. He is in the ministry of restoration. That word sozo in the Greek, which often is just save or salvation, is restoration. It's wholeness. It's healing. It's, it's bringing back to what was originally created. He's going to do it even better the second time, but now in the midst of it, he calls us to be those ambassadors, to be reconcilers, to be ministers of that sozo work of healing and restoration, and that extends to all levels, including our families and our marriages. And so we can't take the low road. We must strive to see what he originally created and work to it for his glory to reveal him and then therefore will be to our joy. Now I wrote in my notes here, not to be resigned or acquiesce to what is, simply what we see and what we experience. For you women who have been in abusive relationships, especially in marriage, for those that have stood up to have your voice heard or to reach out for help, I affirm you and I stand with you. And I know there's some in this room who have walked that hard, difficult, painful journey. And for others who are still feeling trapped in some level and maybe you say, well, it's not, it's not that bad, but there is definitely oppression, then I'm just inviting you to reach out for help, for encouragement. We have resources here. Yes, you can talk to me, but I would guess that's not the first place you would go. Would you go to Catherine or to Darlene Haney? Uh, there's others who have been equipped and trained in counseling and biblical counseling to walk you through uh, a journey that God may be calling you out of or may be calling you into with his purpose and power. I don't know. Every circumstance is so unique. We all have room to grow, everyone. But I hope that you would just know that there is, there is freedom, there is hope, there is mercy, and there's healing if you happen to be in that kind of a place today. To be, to be true, yes, the ways of marriage, the ways of God in general, but the ways of marriage in specific are a profound mystery. But all things find their fulfillment and full revelation in the person of Jesus. So even when we come to a, a, a passage like this one or hard words that we first may wonder at or bristle at, we need to come back to putting our focus on who Jesus is. That's ultimately what Paul does. He calls us to Christ. He calls us to his picture of both love and submission. And we'll wade into that more fully. But we, all, we also need to understand this word mystery. It's not just, oh, it's a mystery. It's an otherworldly, incomprehensible, lofty thought that we could never really grasp. Paul's already used this word mystery a number of times in Ephesians, especially at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 6, and then also in, uh, in chapter 3, the f- verses 3 through 5, or maybe it was 1, 1 verse 9, 1 verse 9. God is making something known. He's revealing it. He take, takes a mystery and he makes it known. So it's, it's not something that can't be comprehended. It's something that is, has been hidden simply because it has not been looked for. God is shining light on it that we would see it and we would look into it to come to know him more fully. That's the context of this mystery. It's a profound mystery, but it's accessible. Now, to use an analogy, diamonds don't grow on a fruit tree. 
Is it true? Wouldn't that be awesome? But if they did, we wouldn't cherish them because they would be easily accessible and picked. Diamonds are cherished because they are mined. There's beauty in them, but they are mined for. And the truth of God, like a hidden secret, it can be known and accessed, but it takes work. So don't take the low road. Don't dismiss, oh, who can know God? Who can know his ways? We dig in. We do that work. We remain faithful for the gems of God's truth because we cherish them and value them above all others. The secret of marriage, not just the mystery, the mega secret of marriage is related to Christ and the church and that incredible relationship. This means, too, that God had Jesus and his sacrificial life and service and death in mind as he created the world, as he created man and woman to come together. It was already pictured by God the Father to become one flesh. Tim Keller says, if we don't know where to start, start here. Paul says, do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus and the rest will follow. And that call goes to husbands and to wives. This is the secret that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. That's why God invented marriage. He already had the saving work of Jesus in mind. I would contend that the main issue isn't that we fail to understand gender and sexuality and marriage, that the main issue is that we don't understand authority and submission. And that we don't look to Jesus for our model of both. Let us keep our eyes fixed on him and his love as we wade into any difficult topic, but especially into marriage. Now, Kathy Keller, Tim's wife, said this. She said, I've seen Bible verses used as weapons of both oppression and rebellion. And I have also seen the healing and flourishing that can happen in a marriage when hot-button words like headship and submission are understood correctly with Jesus as the model for both. As we proceed, may we hold to the big picture, to God's creation, to love above all. That's where we need to begin. That's where Catherine wants to begin. So I get to pass the mic pack to the last word. Check. <clears throat> Hello. Can you hear me? Ooh. Um, if this feels like a really long introduction, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, when Ben and I, when Ben started Ephesians, um, we actually talked about chapter five way, way, way in the beginning. And, and I said, if this fits with you, I would love to really work side by side in the teaching of chapter five. And so this whole time leading up to it, every time he gives a sermon, we end the day with me thinking we're one sermon closer to when I'm going to be perhaps up here or just within the discussion deeply during the week. So we went into this week thinking, okay, so we're going to do not 15 through 21, but actually 22 through the end of the chapter. And the more we teased out the importance of the context around these scriptures, the more we felt it was our responsibility to start with things like love and our identity in Christ um, before tackling some of the <clears throat> sometimes more myopic portions of that particular chapter. And the parts that I was the most passionate about when we were talking this week, and we've been doing this dance for 16 plus years, married for 16. Um, and then actually, I pause. I did want to introduce myself because some of you don't know me or my story. I mean, I know we're a small church, but um, I'm thankful that I see some new faces this morning, and I would, it'd be foolish for me to think that you all actually know me. So um, I'm Catherine. I'm Ben's wife, um, but firstly and foremost, I am a daughter of the king. 
I came to know Jesus in 1998. I was raised in a Christian home and had those teachings, but it really wasn't until the Lord smacked me upside the head in the beauty of nature in August of 1998 that I started to understand more deeply what the idea of him being the Lord of my life is. Um, so I don't want us to forget that, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in, in a little bit, but that my, my identity is a follower of Jesus Christ. My identity is daughter of the king. Some more of my story is, I mentioned my, my upbringing, I had two very good models for me. Um, I had a dad who had a wife that he edified, I mean, man, spoke the world of her all the time, and two daughters that you would think that we both walked on water, to be quite frank. Um, He wanted to make sure that we had a path through life, that we could access all of the things that we wanted to access, regardless of what society said. Um, Wanted to make sure that whoever it was we were going to marry knew that we weren't they weren't worth it. Like that I, there is no one. Yeah, and you can ask Ben for the testimony. He'll tell you. It, my dad did a very good job. Um, <clears throat> also modeled for me was a mom, and, and I'm sorry, guys, you're allowed to like give me the timeout sign if, because I didn't check in with them about this introduction. Um, but I had, a, I had a mom who showed me what strong womanhood is and serving her husband. And for many years, um, Dad wasn't going to church with us. I, I, you can talk to him about whether or not he was a believer at the time, but, but definitely she submitted to someone who didn't always walk with the Lord. Um, and that was an incredible model for me. And she did it with love. And my dad loved her unconditionally. I had really good models. So I'm actually not the best person to be talking about submitting necessarily because I also then have a relationship with where it looks a lot like what we're going to talk about next week in chapter five. I submit to my husband. I understand that he's my headship, but our relationship is a really good one where he loves me back and he edifies me and he encourages me in my giftings. And that's not always the case for all relationships. Um, And so I stand here knowing that I am bathed in all sorts of privilege when it comes to relationships. Um, That said, see, long introduction to another long introduction. Um, I want to talk about love, and I want to talk about identity. Um, So Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians about love. You're familiar with the passage, right? It's actually done in marriage ceremonies all the time, um, but it starts in verse 4. Right? 13, 4, 5, 5, Ben says. Okay. Um, I'd like to start at 13, 1, where Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, like mega mysteries perhaps, and all knowledge, like if I actually get it, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So echoing back to what Ben was saying earlier about this, this chapter, if we are just looking at the words void of love, it's nothing. Um, in Ephesians 4, Paul urges us to speak the truth to one another in love. And it's so vital that we continue to do that, is to speak the truth in love. Um, He says here, as he concludes chapter 5 and as he starts chapter 6, it's a continuation of loving one another. And a part of that loving one another is submission to one another. And he's speaking to all of us, not just wives or husbands or kids or, or, or. He's speaking to us all that we are to be submitting to one another. And it's a component of showing love to one another. Um, And so it's really important not to take the words out of the context, right? So... So let's go back to the passage, starting in 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. And can I just tell you how much I love this passage? I mean, for those of you that have seen me lead worship on a Sunday morning, like, listen to this, right? 
You're going to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, yes, Paul, and spiritual songs, yes, Paul, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, yes, Paul, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, something that you may not know about me, but you can ask my friends, part of my Imago Day is like being in the trenches together. I like hard things when I get to do them with my fellow believers side by side which now just opened up an invitation for you. If you've got something hard, you're going to be like, I'm calling Catherine, because as long as I tell her we're in the trenches together, she's going to show up. Um, <clears throat> but, it's, but it's true. Like this, this, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And then verse 22, which literally in the Greek is translated, wives to own husbands, submit actually isn't repeated, just so you know. In your English Bibles, it says, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ, that word submitting yourself to is one Greek word. Ben can tell you what it is later. It starts with hypo and ends with oi, and there's something in between. Um, it's, it's one word, and I really love that. One Greek word for me submitting myself to someone else. I think that's pretty cool. The next word, shout out to my friend Mika, is the one another is one word, which actually like is loosely translated one anothering. And then after it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, the next words say wives to own husband. It does not repeat the submitting. So it's super important if we are going to have that heading there that we know that we're taking it from the previous paragraph. That word submitting is actually coming from the previous paragraph. <clears throat> That, <clears throat> excuse me, the word own, wives own your husband, by the way, just a little bit of levity. We had a great discussion this week because I did my own research, and that word own also shows up in Mark 4.34, when Jesus is talking about his own disciples. I thought that was so cool. It gave me a different perspective on that wives to own husbands, right? And so then I started to argue that maybe it was like I was like Jesus owning Ben, and he was like, well, I think, <clears throat> let's talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, so, so why is this um, verse 22 so hard for me, right? Because like I said earlier, I'm like, yes, Paul, yes, Paul, yes, Paul, yes, Paul. And I, when I read Paul's words, there are times when I struggle, right? And there's times when he'll just do like a gut punch. But often I find when I'm reading, when I am reading his words, and there's a gut punch when he knows that it's going to be hard. There's like context around it for him to like recognize that it's going to be hard. Here he's just like, good thing, good thing, good thing, good thing, wives to your husbands. So why is it so hard for me? Um, I think it has a lot to do with my experiences. And I told you, I have great experiences. I'm going to just do this well, because I'm not used to this. You're going to sing with me next week, right? <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, but I still have experiences where the impact on me felt a certain way. And perhaps it wasn't the intent of the person, but its impact. Um, I don't want to be told to submit. That feels oppressive. When the Lord asks me to submit to one another, I, yeah, I really am. I'm like, yeah. Um, yesterday when I was doing some more study, I was using Ben's study Bible, which is not this one. Ben's study Bible, um, I don't know, if, like, it's like this thick, and it's, it's ridiculous, but it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of helpful words in it, and, and it's never offended me before. And last night, as I was using it and looking more at this idea of wives to own husbands, um, it had a footnote in it, like they do. <clears throat> and the footnote said, chapter 5, 22 through 33, big chunk of scripture. And there were uh, three sentences. It said, this passage is the first time this word submit is uh, used. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So then I looked up that word submit in the Greek and oh, found the other place where it is. And so actually only in there twice, which I also found really interesting, but I'm not, not that's for somebody else to talk about. Um, but then the next line in the study Bible said, 
And it says, wives, submit to your husbands, period. It does not say, husbands, submit to your wives, comma. It said, husbands, love your wives. And I thought, yeah, I'm an intelligent woman. I read that. I knew that already. Why did you feel it necessary, you, like I'm angry at some like commentary guy that I've never met before. Why did you feel it necessary to point that out again? What I wanted in the commentary for, was for them to reference Philippians chapter 2, where I think it's a really beautiful picture of the same author, Paul, telling the church that he loves, hey, submit to one another in humility, right? Um, better than yourselves. We sang a song about it at Westminster. Um, and then, right, so there's the submission part, and then it also talks about Christ pouring himself out. I, I, for me, it feels like chapter 2 of Philippians really um, illustrates a beautiful picture of what Christ is asking me as a wife and Ben as a husband to do. And when I told that to Ben last night, in frustration, with his Bible in my hand, saying, see, this is why, and he said, have you read my notes for next week? We're going over Philippians chapter 2. And I was like, oh, that's great. So I don't have to get into it right now. I'm just trying to offer why it's so important that we be reflective on the love that we're pouring out on our brothers and sisters as we're trying to talk about these really difficult things. Because that experience happens to me often outside of these church walls. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, you abs- I, let's have coffee. Um, because I'd love to talk to you more about it. Back to my notes. Um, so there's no verb. Okay, Going back to 21. Submitting to one another, there's the verb. But going into 22, it just says, wives to your husband. It's, it, there's no verb. It's a continuation from before, from God's... From God saying, submit to one another, wives to your husbands. A result of being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, these are Ben's words, and I'm going to read your words, okay? A result of being daily filled with the Holy Spirit is the ability to submit to one another. That's men to men, women to women, men to women, and women to men, brothers and sisters to one another. Verse 21 leads us into an example of which we will talk about next week, an example of submitting to one another. Um, The only way that this can be done is in the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says, we must become less so that he becomes more. And we want to be careful not to ever skew those words. So why submit and love? and serve out of a reverence to Christ. Because of Jesus and with his model fully in mind and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become more like him. We can give like he gave, serve like he served, sacrifice like he sacrificed, submit like he submitted. And this is how we honor him. This is the only way we begin to see the restoration of God's original design. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. So, Holy Spirit, I need your guidance. I don't want to react to Scripture because of flesh or experiences or non-experiences. I want to receive your word. I want to remember that I am the daughter of a king. And Lord, help me not become bitter when I feel like others are trying to tell me that I'm something less than that. Um, I think I'm supposed to say amen, but you knew I was done. Um, I, the reason why I mentioned when I was reading the scripture why it was so cool that, um, that this friend um, offered their Bible to me is because I was struggling. Clearly you could see I was struggling last night when I read the notes in that particular ESV study Bible. And so I wanted to be able to like read it straight out of there for you. And the Lord and I were wrestling with that this morning. I was like, Lord, that feels like, like I'm, I'm harboring some bitterness um, in there. And that's not of you. Um, and then I forgot to bring the Bible. 
So I was like, oh, okay. So then I'm not, I'm not supposed to bring that up. And some of you are like, I still don't think you were supposed to bring that up. <laughs> uh, and so I just mentioned to Ben and this friend who happens to live close to us, uh, to the church here, who happened to hear me say, oh, I forgot, your, I forgot your study Bible. Maybe I just won't use it. And he said, oh, I've got a study Bible. That's right, I'll go get it. So he runs over, you don't really sound like that. Um, and he, so he runs over and grabs this, the, his study Bible and brings it back, and I open it up, and it's, it's thinner. It's thinner than the one that we have at home. So less words, right? Less commentary. Um, I open up to Ephesians, um, and I look, and it, hey, it doesn't have it, actually. It has actually a lot more words and some really interesting commentary that I didn't get to read before uh, talking today, so that could have been helpful. Um, and I was then really, really encouraged because this friend happens to be a husband, um, and he's got this really cool uh, highlighter in here that clearly he carries with him all the time because there's highlighting everywhere in his scriptures. And he only, I noticed, highlighted the husband part. He, he didn't highlight the wives submit to your own husbands. He highlighted the husbands love your wives and highlighted all the way until the beginning of chapter 6. And uh, this, that part was supposed to be an encouragement the Lord gave to me today, is that just because there are perhaps people who had no intention of offending me by some silly words in, in the commentary, but the impact was big, I need to remember that there are brothers that I have in Christ in this room who are really serious about loving their wives and not highlighting for their wives, unless your wife has her own Bible that you highlighted that part for her, but (laughs) I don't think that's actually how it goes. Um, So that is the long introduction to next week's sermon where we're going to... talk about how our relationship actually looks a lot like, or we at least try to make it look like a... I'm going to stop. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you gift us all differently. I thank you. I thank you um, that you make us uniquely in your image. I thank you that I am a daughter of, of the King. I thank you that you're not done with me yet, that I have so much room to learn and to grow. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share this morning, because it truly does help me appreciate my husband's giftings and workings in a whole new light. Lord, I I pray for those that are in the room who who don't know you, Lord. Pray, Father, that your love would be the only message that they heard today that there would be no other details that got in the way of that. You are a big, good God, and you can do great things, and I ask for a miracle in this place. May there be healing and hope and joy and love. Lord, eradicate bitterness and selfish pride. 